We're on the, la- we're on the second message of baggage, baggage series. It's just a small three-week series that we put together, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago with the team. And uh, each, uh, Pastor Jacob, uh, Tyrone, and uh, myself, each of us will be covering one of the messages. I'm going to do this one and the last one next week. Pastor Jacob done an amazing job last week, I heard, on dealing with forgiveness, and I'm just so grateful for him. But the luggage, as you see here, is just reminders. Uh, I'm going to be illustrating some, but it's just uh, a reminder of what the series is, but also with each one of those, what life can be like. Uh, We have the handbag that we carry around every day, or uh, what I guess most women carry around. I guess there's some men carry, I don't know, fanny packs and all that kind of stuff, but whatever. You're carrying something every day. And then we got the gym bag, which is you just use it for particular occasions. Usually we call it a gym bag because that's what most of us use it for, or some kind of athletic event. Some people use it just to carry small items, uh, but things that you don't carry around every day, but you use it on a regular basis. Then you have the suitcase, which we just normally use when we travel. Very seldom do you see people just pulling suitcases around every day of their life. And then this one here, I'm going to... Today, I'm going to use it more so to reflect uh, a trunk. Uh, and I think they still call them trunks, those chests, those old chests that people have that they keep stuff in over, over the years. Each of these have a benefit. They each have a purpose. And, and the purpose is good. We use them for that. We buy them for that, uh, for those very purposes. But the truth of it is, if you're anything like me, oftentimes you, you, it's so easy to carry stuff that you don't need to carry. Um, Some women may carry stuff in their purse that they don't need to carry around, but they just feel like they need to have it. Uh, I know uh, I usually carry more stuff in my gym bag than I need. Oftentimes when we pack, oftentimes we pack more stuff than we need, and and sometimes it gets overweight. I thought of a story that I, which which has just happened, that I thought would be safe to tell here. I think you guys love me, and I love you, and so I, I think I can tell this story, and you won't walk away. Uh, judging me, but oftentimes people, when they go to check in at the airlines, you know, there's a limit on how much you can carry before they got to charge you. And it's, it's 50 pounds. Most of us know that. Anything over 50 pounds, they're going to charge you for it. And so I, I usually always, I can feel about what 50 pounds is, so I'm, I can always pretty much tell if I'm going to be overweight or not. And plus, I don't I don't want to be that person. Have you ever been in line with someone and they were overweight and the person tells them, okay, you're overweight, it's going to cost this much, and, uh, and they don't pull to the side to check their stuff out. They open it up right there. I mean, the line is backed up, people trying to check in, and oh, no, oh, no, I'm over. Open up. You see all their dirty clothes, and I mean everything right there. They're going to hold up everything trying to figure out what they're going to keep and what they're not going to keep. And I... I, uh, when I left from my sister's in Connecticut, I was, uh, I think, headed from there to Vacaville, I think, or maybe, maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think Vacaville is where I was flying to, or Oakland. And when I, my bag was already packed, and my sister, w- I had actually saw her in L.A., so I was with my brother-in-law, but then my sister came in that morning right before I left, so we had breakfast. And anyway, I picked up my bag, my luggage, and got ready to load it in my car, and it felt like it was more than 50 pounds. It felt more than what it was when I finished packing it. And so on the way out the door, my sister said, I gave you a little something. I said, oh, okay, okay, no big deal. I'll check it out when I get to the airport. So when I got to the airport and started wheeling it, I knew it was over 50. 
I could just feel it was over 50. And I, I didn't want to be that guy, right, that I just told you about. I didn't want to be the guy that gets to the line knowing that it's over 50. They tell me it's over 50, and I got to figure out what I got to take out of the bag. I didn't want to be that guy. So when I got to the airport, there was one airline that wasn't flying, and, you know, they got the little weight things there. So I thought, I'm just going to weigh it down, see what it is. If I need to get rid of anything, I can get rid of it before I get to the deal. So went on there, set it on there, and sure enough, it was overweight by by a a noticeable amount of pounds. It wasn't going to slide through with where it was. So since there was nobody there, I thought I'd open it up and see what she said she had put something in there. Now, just so y'all know, my sister owns a vineyard in Connecticut. (laughs) No judgment now. No judgment. Jesus, well, never mind. So I was going to say Jesus drunk wine, but y'all know that already, right? So anyway, I opened up my bag. Sure enough, three bottles of wine right on top. Now, I was in a dilemma. No. (laughs) Right on top, and I knew that was what caused the weight. So I'm sitting there thinking, now this was me. Everything I brought on this trip, I wanted. So I didn't want to leave anything behind that I brought. But there was the three bottles of wine, and I'm, I'm in a dilemma. So while there's another lady that comes who actually worked at that, and she said, what are you doing? I says, well, I, I'm overweight. I figured out I was overweight. I didn't want to go down there and get in a deal. I, I, I need to check to make sure that I'm, you know, find out what it is that caused the weight. And the lady looks down. She sees the three bottles of wine. She said, well, ain't no question what caused the weight. I said, well, I know that. That's why I'm standing here trying to figure out what to do. She said, it ain't no problem. You got to get rid of the bottles. I said, well, what am I going to do with the bottles? She said, I'll take them. (laughs) And so the airline lady just picked up all three bottles, and one of the other ladies came and said, what are you doing? She said, don't worry about it. Don't tell nobody, and gave her a bottle. And on I went without without my my stuff. But sometimes we can carry stuff that that we just don't need, just too much weight. I want to show you this scripture in God's Word. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, many of you have either seen people run a track meet or have been to a track meet and and you see the same with swimmers, um, people in that kind of athletic field, they make sure they have on as less as possible, stripped down as less as they possibly can be. Because when they get rid of the weight and, and strip off the things that they don't need, there's a less opportunity of resistance or, or any reduction uh, of them exerting themselves in the best way that they, they can. This passage illustrates that But from a standpoint of Christianity, uh, the Hebrew writer is using that picture to inform us that we're running a race. The Christian life is a race. You could also uh, illustrate as a walk, but it's a race. We, We have an end goal. He's using race here because of the ability and opportunity to win. We do have a walk, our walk, we have a walk of faith. But we're running. We're doing what God has called us to do. We've been brought into a place of relationship with him. So we get to the end goal, that we get to the end line, that we win. 
the Christian, the goal of the Christian life is victory. The goal of us, our life of witness is to get to the place that God has set before us. It's a life of serving. It's a life of witness. It's a life of victory. You don't get into the Christian race. You don't become a Christian just to see how this may end up because the alternative is not good. Either you get to the end zone, the end line, which is eternal life, which is heaven. If you don't get there, the alternative is not good. Do y'all understand that? We don't become a Christian just to see, well, let me just see if I can make it to the end. No, 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 no. If you don't make it to the end, there's a problem. There's a real problem when you stand before the Lord. We are in the Christian race to win, to be victorious for the sake of the eternal life that's laid out before us. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26. Don't you realize that in a race everyone uh, runs, but only one person gets the prize. So hear this. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. That's the difference maker right there. So then Paul goes on to say, so I run with purpose in every step. Every step have purpose. I'm not just shadow boxing. We all want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the big idea of this message is simply this. Life is done best when you empty out the baggage that restricts you and hinders you from winning. It's just that simple. Life is done best. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 12. That's what we're, that's what we're going to illustrate here. It's done best in life. And all of us carry baggage in life or can carry baggage. And every one of us that carries some things that we are not to carry or don't need to carry, it has an effect on your life. It's going to hinder you. It's going to affect you in one way or another. And the objective for us, the goal, the big idea, is to get rid of the stuff that we don't need to carry, the stuff that will weigh us down, the stuff that's not designed for us to carry. Now, this is a typical, well, if, some, if a woman carrying a purse this big, it should be a weapon, but this is a handbag. And, you know, you could, you could open up, I know they tell us don't go in a woman's purse, but you can go up in, in any woman's purse and you'll see some things that they, I'm sure they need. Most of them are going to have makeup in there. Some of them are going to have their wallet in there. There's going to be different things in there. Some people got, you know, this one, uh, pepper spray, knife, and a gun. That's well-trained, ready to go. But, but, but oftentimes, every day in life, we carry stuff we don't need. Like there's a few things in this handbag that this person's carrying around every day. You don't see it but it affects their life like rejection. You don't see it, but they're carrying it around every day. And no matter how you slice it, rejection has a way of messing with your mind and messing with your emotions. Am I talking to the right church? Maybe they're carrying some hidden sin. You don't see it, but they're carrying it every day in life. Packed away, put away, where nobody can see it, but that's what they're carrying. And hidden sin affects your race with the Lord. Maybe some character flaws, and we all got them. And, and, that, and it's, it's character flaws are just that. We're not made perfect, but some people let character flaws in their life really affect them in their living and in their life, and they carry it around every single day. Some folks carry guilt, and they just bury it. 
It's in the handbag. They can't see it. I know it's there, and they just live with it. Let me tell you, that stuff will weigh you down. Y'all doing all right? We do the same thing when we carry our gym bags. Gym bags, again, these things are oftentimes seasonal. And we don't, we don't use these all the time. We don't carry them all the time. We just carry them on certain occasions, which means this. They, to me, they symbolically represent the things that we don't, that doesn't flare up every day. But on certain occasions, they're there. Like, you know, when, like, sometimes around holiday season when you're around family members that you're not usually around, and, and it doesn't come up every day, but, but you, you can't stand Uncle Billy or Aunt Sally. You just hate them. Now, you don't, they're not, they're not, I don't know, maybe there's an Uncle Billy and Aunt Sally here. I'm sorry about that. I love you. But it's not the fact that you don't, people don't see the hatred that you have every day, but, but you know how it is. You get around the rest of the family, you see some folks you don't like. It could be, it can even be at any kind of gathering, and then you'll turn around and someone, I just can't stand them. Now, people don't see that hatred coming out of you all the time, but on certain occasions and certain seasons. You don't always see unforgiveness until you're in a situation where you got to show forgiveness. You carry it around, you deal with it, and Jacob done a good job, so I don't need to carry this anymore. Y'all, y'all already got rid of the forgiveness, right? Because J- Jacob jacked you up last week. But we carry unforgiveness. Insecurities. This is a big one. Insecure. You get in certain settings. You got to speak in front of people. Opportunities for you to engage in a new job or a new, new career, and you're a little bit insecure. Afraid of taking that test. Afraid of speaking in front of people. Afraid of, afraid of what people think about you because you're just not all that like the rest of them. And, and only on occasions... Only certain times, same with shame. It doesn't pop up all the time. Shame-based identities usually affect you when you're in certain situations, when something from the past has got a hold of you, and then that shame just over, over, overwhelms you. Y'all doing all right? We have the same thing with traveling with our luggage. Some things in our life, it just doesn't, it's not even an issue until we get somewhere out of the norm. We're at places that we're not normally at. And whatever's working in my life then, for some reason or another, either there's either a liberty to deal with it or the temptation to deal with it. Like people who are struggling with sexual confusion. They don't want to show that around people that they know. If I call the name one of the most popular, famous worship leaders, we still sing his songs. I've known about him for years, and I knew he was struggling with sexual confusion. But the only time when he finally, finally, finally came clean, he said the only time he really fought it the most is when he was out of town around nobody else. And he had to fight that battle and that temptation of being who he was instead of engaging in things that he shouldn't be. Are y'all following me on that? Infidelity. You're not going to cheat in home. You're not going to mess around at home. But hey, it's a trip. You're traveling. Nobody knows. You could do what you got to do. And who's going to know about it? It's just here, it's there. What, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. People live with that mentality in their life. I'm talking Christians. Y'all all right? Anger. Maybe you get into a business meeting and you're just, you're just sick and tired of sick and tired and they cut your pay or promoting you and then that anger comes out or just failure and loss of what you could have been or who you could have been or who you thought you were going to be. You're carrying that. And it may not always come all the time, but you got it in your heart and you got it in your mind and you're living with it. It's baggage that you don't need. And then this last one I'll deal with. And I I want you to pretend this is a trunk. Most of us, 
Most of us use trunks for certain purposes. You may keep comforters in there, uh, blankets, things that you're not going to necessarily have to go to often, things that you want to pack away over the years. But oftentimes when you do got to go to the trunk, you may dig through there looking for something, and maybe you see the note that your nine-year-old wrote you when he was in school, but you haven't talked to him for years because you're estranged. You're not still in the same relationship. You haven't heard from him. You don't carry this estrangement around every day. Sure, it may be on your mind, but while you're standing at that trunk and you see that note of that nine-year-old boy who says, Mommy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. And now you got to deal with the fact I haven't talked to him for 20 years. Or maybe you find something in the trunk that reminds you of a marriage that you had years ago. The one that you really believe was from the Lord. And it just went bad. And since then, you haven't been able to get into a marriage that really, really is right and work. And you're still grieving that old one. But it, it's, only, it's only maybe that old ring that he or she got you when you first got married. And I could say the same about divorce or maybe abortion. Maybe you took pictures of what the room was going to look like when you brought the child home. And then whatever, because of a bad relationship or because of a situation, you didn't want the abortion, but you were forced to have the abortion. But you still find the pictures that you had prepared the room for. Listen, I'm not trying to make this too heavy, but I'm trying to make it real. People carry stuff in their life that affects everything that we do in the manner that we think with our emotions, and it affects us spiritually. And I'm here to tell you, these things happen in life. Every one of these situations that I talked about happen. But here's what you got to hear, and this is what the Word of the Lord says. You don't have to live with that stuff. You're not designed to carry it. And when you do carry it, if you don't come to the place in your life where you get rid of it, if you don't come to that place, you're going to carry it from relationship to relationship. You're going to carry it from job to job. You're going to carry it from church to church. Let me tell you something. I even know as a pastor, there's been people who've been hurt at other churches by something a pastor said, and they come here, the church is great, they love the church, but I say something that reminds them of the pain of what that other pastor said, and they're ready to bail out because they cared from Church to church, relationship to relationship. Some of you are in relationships that will never stand a chance because you're still carrying stuff from the last one. He or she will never have the opportunity to love you like they want to because you still think about the last relationship and the damage was done and you're still carrying it around. You'll never get to the next step in life. You'll never take that promotion. You'll never finish that degree because of all the fears that you have and the doubts that you have and the insecurities that you have. You've had opportunity after opportunity to have a better career, more job, but you just feel so insecure so you stay on the same job for 30 years making $10 an hour because you're insecure, because you don't get rid of the stuff that God wants you to get rid of. There's a few reasons on why that stuff shouldn't be there anymore. And one of it absolutely has to do with the new life in Christ. Because when God gave us a new life, he gave us an opportunity to get rid of the stuff from the past. You, you know the passage, but I'm going to remind you again, and I think it's going to be on the screen in the message. 
Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Should I say that again? Somewhere down the line, y'all going to catch up and give me an amen or two. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Listen to this. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. Tell your neighbor, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately, hear this, reproduces his character in you. That's the word of the Lord. Because of this new life, we don't have to hold on to that old stuff. All things have been made new. All that old stuff can be left behind. You're no longer who you thought you were or who people said you were or who people made you to be. You're now who Christ has determined that you are. It's a new way of life and it's a new way of living. You can get rid of the old stuff. You don't have to carry it. I think of a, uh, and yeah, it's just a simple little illustration, but it kind of reminds me of this kind of thing. You, you got two people who followed Jesus around for three and a half years. One was named Peter, one was named Judas. They both done the same things that the Lord wanted them to do. They both worked miracles. They both went out anointed by God to do great and marvelous things. But each of them had a response to the Lord that had an effect on them. You know what Peter did when it came time, even though he boasted about being one that, Lord, I'll stay with you, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. Everybody else may forsake you, but not me. But what Peter was carrying around in his life that he never got rid of was a fear of, being, of not being accepted. He was carrying around in his life, uh, he was carrying around, what if people don't accept me? He also was carrying around the, the, the doubt of whether Jesus really was who he said that he was. So he's carrying fear, he's carrying doubt, he's carrying insecurities. I could spend a whole lot of time telling you about Peter's character and how he was who he was. But he's carrying around insecurities, he's carrying around doubt, he's carrying around fear. And so when he's cornered about, don't you know this man? Don't you want to be with him? Weren't you with him? He says, I don't know the man. Two times he denied him. The third time he cursed and denied him. Then he saw Jesus and wept. And then we got Judas. Judas was one of the fellows just like all the rest. Sure, he was thieving, but nobody knew he was stealing. But he had greed in his heart. Jesus knew it, but none of the fellows. As a matter of fact, when you read the Scripture, it ain't even Jesus who told us that, that, uh, that uh, Judas was stealing. It was after they found out after the fact that he was stealing. They never knew that about him. But here Judas, because of the greed that he's been carrying in his heart all along, there's an opportunity for him to betray the Lord. So he accepts the offer for the money. But I want you to notice what happened after that. Peter knew he had fear. He knew he had insecurity. He knew he had doubts. And Judas knew he was greedy. But when Jesus resurrects from the, cross, from the, from the grave... He tells the disciples that are gathered, the two ladies, you tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. The scripture says that when Peter hears that, he understands Jesus still loves me. He still accepts me. 
I don't have to keep living with this fear and this doubt and this insecurity. Jesus, even after what I did, he's still calling me and he runs to Jesus. Judas witnesses what Jesus done for Peter, but instead of getting rid of the greed, he carries it right to a tree and right to a rope and commits suicide because he wouldn't get rid of the baggage that he was carrying in his life that he didn't need to carry. Turn to your neighbor again and say, get rid of it. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Don't let this stuff continue in the life. Hebrews 12, 15 is real clear about bitterness, that not only will bitterness trip us up and cause us to fall short of the glory of God, but bitterness will rise up and defile every part of your life if you don't get rid of it. Uh, let me just tell this story, and hopefully I can tell it. It won't take too awful long, but it's one of those stories that's kind of obscure in the Bible. You'll probably walk right through it if you didn't notice it. But you might, re- you might recall, though, that there was a time in, in David's life where his son Absalom had came to the point that the things, the things that he was caring about his father, against his father David in him, had risen up. He had was upset with his dad because his dad did not discipline his brother for raping his sister. He harbored that stuff. He ran and went to another community after he had done some very bad things. But he loved his dad, and David eventually was convinced to call Absalom to come back, let him come on back. But instead of David engaging in a right relationship with his son Absalom, he just told him, hey, welcome home, kissed him, and says, now you go live over there. All that bitterness and that concern and hatred that Absalom had in his heart against his father kept festering. And even though he was there near his dad and doing things with his dad, he came to the point where he wanted to go against him. He saw an opportunity where he could come back into, take a group of men and go into the palace and take over. David got word that Absalom was coming in. So David told his men, Absalom is coming. I know what this is about. There's a lot of rage in him. There's a lot of bitterness in here. He'll kill us all. We got to get out of here. So David took so many men. I think at that time might have been 70 men, and they left. But he left all his concubines, which Absalom went and humiliated his father publicly just to show people how much rage he had against his dad. But Absalom's plan was to kill his father. When David left the palace, there was a counselor who had been with David for years. His name was Ahithophel, Ahithophel. He was with David from the time David was first made king in Hebron. He, the scripture says he was a wise man. And almost everything that he would tell David to do, David would do it because he was wise. But instead of Ahithophel going with David when David left the palace, he stayed back with Absalom. Hushai was another counselor that spent time with David. He comes a little bit later and he says, man, I'm with you, but Ohithophel stayed behind. If you read the text in first, it's, uh, for, uh, 2 Samuel 17, you'll see where David said, oh no. If Ohithophel is staying with Absalom, Ohithophel will know everything I'm doing and he'll tell Absalom exactly what to do and Absalom will come out here and kill me. So he tells Hushai, 
I want you to go back and I want you to pretend you're with Absalom. And Absalom is going to ask Ohithophel, what is it that, that I should do so I could get my father? And Ohithophel is going to tell him. He's going to tell him and what he tells him is going to be right. But he says, I need you to hear what he says and I need you to tell him I was just with David and that's not what he's doing. This is what he's doing. You give him the total opposite of what Ahithophel tells him to do. Because the truth is, Ahithophel is going to be right. He knows me. So sure enough, Absalom calls him together. He asks Ahithophel, what should I do? And Ahithophel says, I've been with your dad for years. His patterns are the same. The manner of how he fights is the same. Where he goes to hide is the same. Everything is the same. He's well protected here and there. He's going to do this, this, and this. So you need to do this. If you do this, you're going to get him before he gets to where he's going. Hushai hears that and he says, I just left David. And he made up a story. And he said, no, that's not what's happening. This is what David's going to do. I just left him. And Absalom, because Hushai had just left David, he says, I'm going to go with Hushai. Now, mind you, the scripture says Ahithophel is one of the wisest men in the kingdom. After that incident, because Absalom did not go with his counsel, he went with the counsel of Hushai. The scripture says that, that Ahithophel went home. He got with his family. He put everything in order. Let his family know what's gonna, what they should do. And the scripture says Ahithophel committed suicide. Why would he do that? Why would Ahithophel commit suicide because somebody didn't listen to his counsel? Well, if you know the backstory, you find out that Ahithophel was the uncle of Bathsheba. And the years that Bathsheba had been humiliated publicly because of what David done, Ahithophel had carried that in his heart and his mind all those years. And as soon as he saw an opportunity to get David back and it failed, he couldn't live with himself and he committed suicide. He didn't get rid of the baggage. He didn't get rid of the bitterness. He didn't get rid of the hatred. He didn't get rid of the stuff that was working in his heart and mind, and it brought him to a ruin. Hear me, church. You got to get rid of the stuff. You got to get rid of the stuff. Look at the neighbor next to you and say, get rid of it. I'm just going to give you quick th three quick things here. The band is getting ready to take us into a moment of ministry. But I've told you what you, what, what you need to hear. Now I want to tell you what you need to do. And Hebrews 12 actually gives us the whole clue of how indeed we can get rid of the stuff that's in our life. I read you verse number one where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us. I love the breakdown of this passage in the Greek because it says, There are people lying all around us. And, and witnesses that are above us who are able to help us get rid of the stuff. The line around, that's people that we in fellowship and communication with on a daily basis. People who love you enough, who are willing to help you and walk you through and bring you to a place when, with open and honest confession where we can walk through things that we know are not good for us, that we don't keep them in the handbag. We don't keep them stuffed in the gym bag or the luggage or the trunk. We're willing to face it and bring it out and say, I really need to deal with this. 
There's people all around you that will do it. But I love the idea of this picture here which says a great cloud of witnesses. And what the writer of Hebrews is painting is an amphitheater. And, and he's talking about us who are in the arena that are still fighting. We're still running the race. But we're surrounded by people who have already got there. They've already lived a Christian life. They've already made it. They're already in the presence of the Lord. And the scripture says, you got a cloud of witnesses around you that can tell you, you can do this. You can get past this. You can make it. You can get to the finish line. I walked through the same stuff you did, and look where I am. I'm in the presence of the Lord. Someone told me that it ran a marathon to 26 miles. One of the few people that I know that ran a marathon in Boston, which is a big one. And they prepared, they trained, and, and done everything they could. They said they hit mile, I, I want to say they said they hit mile 16, or I think it was 16 or 17. And they hit a wall that they wasn't expecting to hit. They just hit a wall that they, they thought they were more prepared. So from six, 17, 18, 19, they're, they're telling themselves, you know, I'm supposed to just go step by step, step by step, but man, I just don't know if I can make it. And other people have quit. Other people are walking. You, you can still do 26 miles without running. I don't have to keep putting myself through this, but con consistently going step by step doing it. But he said he turned the corner on Boston Street there in Boston at mile 20. And when he turned that corner with six more miles ago, when he turned that corner, lined up all up and down the road was people in packs that was cheering on the people who were making that last stretch. And there he is, 351, and they're saying, 351, you can do it. You can make it. You can do it. We did it. You can do it. And he said the encouragement that came to know that there's other folks that went the same thing mentally, emotionally that I have and made it, gave me the strength I needed to make it through. Let me tell you something. You got folks all around you who tell you you can make it. You can do this. You can get rid of that stuff, and you can continue this Christian life, and you can do it to win. Can you say amen? And so we got to lay this stuff aside. That's the second thing. Every little weight, every little handicap, whether it be pride, whether it be slothfulness, whether it be doubt, whatever those things are, so that we can endure. The weight of living this Christian life is overwhelming when you constantly have to carry stuff that is not meant for you to carry. You're in a new life. But here's the last thing. Because there's sometimes when some stuff in our life we just have to take to Jesus. We just got to take it to him. There's a lot of stuff that's in our life that many of us have tried to fight the battle on our own to get through it and even went through process with people and then came to the conclusion, I just got to take this to the Lord and take it to the cross. I'm reminded of a story. It's a story in, well, it's in all the gospels and it's actually in there with two different ladies or two different people. But there's a lady in, in, in Luke chapter 7 is the one that I'll bring out. The scripture says that she was an immoral woman. And she came into a place where Jesus was. And when she came into this place, she was carrying an alabaster box. Now, I, I really don't want you to miss this connection. There's only one reason why an immoral woman would have an alabaster box. Only one. Because these alabaster boxes carried something of very uh, great value. It could have been oils. It could have been um, something liquid. 
perfumes, but something of great value, not something that they can just go get just like that. You don't just go to a 99 cent store and get it. You put money aside for a long period of time and you buy something of great value. And the idea was whenever the woman got married, that alabaster box would then be open. It's sealed. They buy it, they fill it up, it's sealed. And whenever they got married, on the night with their husband, they would take whatever's on that alabaster box and put it on him, either wipe his feet or his hair, his face, to let them know I'm taking the most valuable, precious thing I got and I'm giving it to you. But see, something happened in this lady's life because the scripture says she was immoral. And and let me tell you what I'm believing it is. I'm believing she believed one day the right guy was gonna come along and she was gonna give that alabaster box to him. But that guy wasn't the right guy. But then here comes another one. And maybe this is the one. And come to find out that guy wasn't the right guy. But the desire to be loved and to love somebody is still happening. So she goes from man to man to man. She didn't start out that way. She started out wanting to love and to be loved. But she had failure, and she had loss, and she had disappointment, and it never worked out. She went from a good man who wanted, a good woman who wanted to love a man, to being an immoral woman that nobody wanted except to use. She came to the conclusion, me carrying around this alabaster box is only reminding me of my failure. It's only reminding me of my loss. It's only reminding me of my disappointment. It has a good purpose. But all it's doing, I'm just carrying around my disappointment, my fears of never finding a man, the doubt that I'll never be worthy, that I'll never be somebody that somebody wants. And one day she made a decision. I'm not going to wait for a man anymore. I'm not going to even carry around the reminder. She came in there where Jesus was, and she made a decision. I'm not going to give this anybody, but I need to get rid of it. I'm not going to leave it on the shelf. I need to get rid of it. I'm not going to carry it around. I need to get rid of it. She comes one day, she sets that thing before Jesus, and she smashes it. She busts it. She says, I'm not carrying that stuff anymore. I'm giving it to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, church, you you got some cards that they gave you. I I don't know what those things are that you got in your life that you're carrying, but you got to get rid of it. And I don't know where you've tried to take it. I don't know what you've tried to do with it, but it hasn't worked. But I'm going to tell you where it will work if you bring it to the cross. You bring it to the cross and you give it to the Lord. I want everybody to stand. We're not going to end with no doxology today. We're going to end with one thing. The worship team is going to take us before the presence of the Lord. You can do this on your own time. But I'm telling you, I'm asking you as your pastor that loves you, Don't walk out of here carrying that stuff that you know you need to get rid of. You all got a card. You can write on it. You ain't got to put your name on it. You ain't going to get graded. But symbolically, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write on there what you need to bring. And you'll see little baskets and crosses all over. Nobody's going to read these. These things are going to get dumped. But I want you symbolically to say, I'm getting this. The Spirit of God has spoke to me. There's something I know I'm, I'm carrying around and it's not good and I need to get rid of it. And I just want you to write it on that card and drop it in one of these boxes. 
It's going to be a time of worship. I'm not going to go through no more dismissal. We'll just worship the Lord. But I want you to be obedient to the Spirit. Here is the thing that I know. And some of this happens spiritually. Some of this happens because, I, because I've been preaching a long time. This Holy Spirit jacks some of y'all up. I just know it. You can look at your name and say, he got me. Spirit got me. And, and, and listen, all I'm asking you to do is to respond in faith. There's something about responding to what the Lord has done. Something about responding. Nobody's going to ask you. I'm even going to ask the person next to you. Don't ask them what they're writing. Let them do that on their own. And, and, and if you don't have anything to write with, just fold it up and bring it here. Symbolically, we know. But I want you to respond to the Spirit of God. Today is a day of victory. You can get rid of some stuff in your life. You don't have to carry it. We're just going to go in a time of worship. Just put it in the box. Put it in the, in the deal here. And you can go. And you'll have a great day. Matter of fact, you'll have a better day. You'll have an amazing day. You'll have a day of peace and a day of freedom. Fried chicken will never taste so good. Ribs will never be better. You'll go home and the wife said, all we have is peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's wonderful, baby. It's quite all right. Why? Because you're free. You got rid of some stuff. You put some stuff down that you know that's been hindering your life and affecting your life, but Christ will be glorified. Worship team will go into worship, and you just come when you will, and you're free to go. Father, I thank you for the time we've had to share and minister together. I believe you with everyone that's walking up front in faith and obedience. You're doing something amazing. You're doing something great. You're working in their life, Lord God, beyond what my words can do, beyond, Lord God, what any of us can do, but the Spirit is doing it. And as they come in faith and as they come in obedience, I'm trusting you, Lord God, to do a great and awesome thing. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for the Spirit of God working in us. You be glorified as we go from here to our various places. May your face shine upon us. May your peace be with us. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.